papermen meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ding-a-ling-a-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent. The Media Project is a half hour of commentary and analysis on the news media issues of the week, and we are very grateful to have you with us. My name is Rex Smith, and I am here with Alan Shartok, Rosemary Armeo, and Judy Patrick. We are the Media Project. Alan, of course, the CEO of Northeast Public Radio. Judy Patrick, Vice President of the New York Press Association, formerly editor of the Daily Gazette in Schenectady, and Rosemary Armeo, longtime investigative journalist and journalism professor, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm the retired editor of the uh, Times Union of Albany. What an exciting thing to be retired. How do you feel about that, Dr. Shartok? You yourself retired some years ago from your professorship, so you can give me some guidance, huh? Well, it's great. Just enjoy it. I certainly did. <laughs> you know, I've retired. <laughs> I've retired from different things. I was a professor for about 40 years or so at New Paltz and at Albany. And then I had other things, like I was on Channel 6 and then Channel 13 every night. And that was a killer because you wouldn't get home till 8 o'clock. You had young kids. But as soon as I stopped that, it was great. I mean, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> All right. Well, we have a lot of media issues to talk about. We'll keep doing this and be sure that we're on top of what's going on. You know, I think a topic that we really need to address these days is the proper role of the government in dealing with misinformation, misinformation in the press. This has been a topic in Washington lately, and I think it'd be a good thing for us to take a look at here because we have seen over the years, of course, a rise in misinformation of fake news, really, stuff that isn't real. And now it's become a question as to whether there ought to be some sort of a response, whether as some Republican members of Congress are up in arms about the fact that Democrats are attacking fake news and Republicans are now crying foul. So Dr. Shartok, you're a qualified political scientist. So put on that hat, where should the government be stepping in on this kind of thing? Well, I don't think it should be stepping in. You know, politics is the authoritative allocation of scarce resources, as we have said many times. Now, let's just take this current situation. We know that Trump is a lying, lying, lying liar and that the people who support him accept it unqualifiedly. They just take what he says and either they believe it or they pretend they believe it or whatever. So now the Democrats control both houses of Congress and the presidency. Let's just say, for example, that in the next election, by one vote or two votes, the Republicans take both the House of Representatives and the Senate. And now you have rules that have disqualified certain people, let's just say Fox as an example, from putting out all of this garbage. And you say, you're not allowed to do that anymore. We're going to take away your right to do that. We would certainly expect, and I'm sure Rosemary is on top of this one, we certainly expect that they would turn around and do the same thing to the Democrats the next time, even though the Democrats happen to be telling the truth. Rosemary, what do you think? 
Yeah, I'm sort of with you. I think government in the United States, especially over the past five years, has been the source of the misinformation that's gone out. Certainly does not put them in a great position to control it when they see it in the media. However, the one place where I vary from that, where I waver from that, is with the social media. This is not just newspapers and TV stations anymore, which are relatively easy to regulate. We have the Wild West of big tech. And so I was opposed to Trump's effort to squash big tech because he was doing it only so that he would have a platform to talk on. But I would, as I've said many times, would love to see media and government sit down to figure out a way to ensure that propaganda and really dangerous hate speech and terribly important misinformation that results in, well, not maybe in the United States, but certainly around the world has resulted actually even in genocides. That has to be controlled. And so I'm not as totally against government misinformation regulation as I was. It's a fine line, though, Judy. I mean, think about this. The rampant misinformation contributed to the assault on the Capitol on January 6th. It contributed to the half million plus deaths from COVID-19. And so if you're going to do something about it on social media, what about the rest of it? Judy, you have any thoughts about how you deal with all this? Yeah, you know, let's not forget the First Amendment and how important it is to the functioning of our society. There's all these calls nowadays to reimpose the fairness doctrine. But people will misunderstand the fairness doctrine. That applies to broadcast and the rationale, the constitutional rationale for being able to call for fairness under a fairness doctrine. And by the way, it really wasn't that fair when it was actually in effect anyway, is the fact that that there's a limited amount of broadcast spectrum. And so because it's licensed, you know, that gives the government the ability to say, well, you have to be fair about its use. That doesn't happen anymore with the Internet. With digital, it's an unlimited amount space. And so there's no constitutional underpinning for being able to regulate free speech. I agree with Rosemary that, you know, the social media platforms need some sort of I'm not sure whether it's regulation. They're not beholden to the kind of protections that regular media publishers have to endure. Like, we have to make sure we don't libel or slander people. These social media providers, they're not considered publishers, and that's one area where I think we really need to take a look at it. But aside from, like, a call from Congress to do something to not allow Fox News or OAN or Newsmax to broadcast, I think that's wrong. I think we can't go down that road. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, the blurring of the lines between broadcasting and online realms really complicates this because more televisions are hooked up to the Internet. Video streaming platforms look a lot like traditional cable TV. So if you're going to start regulating or making some sort of an assault by the government, even a verbal one on social media, you're going to pretty easily bring in other forms of media as well. It's a very difficult matter. And I agree with you, Judy, that it would be terrific for us to see if there can't be some liability standards attached to these massive digital sites as they are to legacy media. Can we go back a minute to Judy's suggestion that the fairness doctrine needs a revamp? I agree. It did not work very well when it was enforced. There was tons of confusions about when it could be used and when it didn't have to be observed. If you were doing news and the news was one-sided, then you're allowed to do it. So what's the difference between news and commentary? And of course, uh, the media landscape is tons more complicated than the Reagan era when the doctrine was done away with. But there is some version of that that I think might really work and is relevant here. 
and it doesn't have anything to do this time with regulation of broadcast because, as I say, social media is the real place where this sort of fairness doctrine needs to go into place. Like you, I don't know how it would be enforced. That's why I think media and government needs to look at this together. It was under the fairness doctrine that brought on right-wing radio. Rush Limbaugh rose to huge prominence and propaganda heights because of that. So that we did lose something with that. Can't we bring that back? Well, I'm opposed to it. I'll tell you right now, you know, I run a major series of public radio stations and we have people like the incredibly gifted Rosemary Armeo on who gives that's you, Rosemary, in just in case anybody's missing this, who, 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 who speaks her mind. Now, what are you going to do? Let's say she's a commentator and not a news person. Somebody's going to claim that the fairness doctrine has been abbreviated and that it isn't right. And that every time Rosemary says something, we ought to be ready to bring somebody else on who will say the opposite. It's ridiculous. And the idea that, once again, newspapers are protected, but broadcasters aren't, really makes me, you know, very unhappy. Well, the problem, though, is that what you're doing is explaining the old fairness doctrine, and that is indeed why it was done away with. It was completely right. ridiculous to try to administer it. But I'm not, I'm not saying do that. But there are ways that you could ensure that there's not an endless stream of propaganda, which is what we have on too many radio stations, certainly not WAMC, but on other radio stations, the Michael Savages and followed by the Rush Limbaugh's. Unfortunately, we won't be hearing him anymore. But you, you know what I mean. It's, yeah. To get balance, there's not even a bit of counterweight. And surely well, you, we can do better than that. Well, yes, okay. Now you say that the people should sit down together and come up with something. That's been tried before. There have been newspaper councils and other things. It doesn't work. So what I'm asking you, Rosemary, is could you give us an idea, when those folks sit down together, what you would expect them to come up with? What would the model look like? I think I would want to take a look at balance. Certainly, there would be no ban against taking a certain stand, liberal or, or right wing. But against that, you have to have a certain amount of counterweight. So say for every 15 hours, I'm just making this up, any 15 hours of pro-right stuff, you have to have an hour of the other side. There also should probably be some rules about facts, whether the information is based in fact or not. And there should probably whoa. be a complaint mechanism. As Rick oh, says, whoa. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead, Rick. Oh, I just don't think there's any way that you could do that, because when you say that if it's on the right, you need to have some counterweight on the left. What about those who say, yeah, well, I'm in the middle. I'm not really in the right. Well, he's not really the right because he's not as far right as I am. Exactly. I, I mean, I just think that there are too many flavors, of course, for us to balance them neatly between the bitter and the sweet or the left and the right. I don't think that there's a mechanism in a free society for allowing freedom of expression. So, you know, the only way to deal with this, I think, is in the marketplace, is to try to, sorry if I sound like a broken record, but to try to stimulate demand for real journalism, for real truth, and to somehow make truth more marketable, more attractive than lies. And What's that the is, somehow? You said it somehow. Yeah. <laughs> well, better journalism. I, I don't know. <laughs> that is very difficult, right? Rexy, Rexy, 73 million people voted for Donald Trump. And Donald Trump, as we all know, is a lying, lying, lying liar. I've said it a thousand times. I'll say it a thousand times more. But those people believe the lies that this guy tells are real. Now, who is going to be the decider as to what's a lie and what's not? 
That's where this all comes down to. Is it going to be a group of graying she's and he's, you know, in the newspaper world who will say, that's a lie, but this isn't, it won't work. You know, so let's well, leave it the way it is, because that's worked so well over the last 40 years. Oh, yeah, there's nothing we can do about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just make people want better journalism. That doesn't work either. May I, may I say that you're arguing against me with a model proven over the past almost 50 years not to have worked at all. It's why we're in the position we're in right now. There's a difference between bad information and dangerous information. And you see the social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter taking some action, albeit late and not enough, to shut down information concerning the January 6th attack or the idea that the election was stolen, to shut down those accounts. But that's different. That's obviously inciting violence, and they ultimately did, but they were too slow. Facebook has created the Supreme Court where people are going to decide things, but with so much content on digital and the pace at which decisions are made, which is slow, can this really be done? Because social media is so fast and so widespread that self-policing doesn't seem like it's going to work for the social media platforms either. All I know is that we have in the United States, the New York Times and the Washington Post, and I read every one of them before I go to sleep and when I get up. And I do know that the election was lost by Donald Trump and won by Joe Biden. And it seems to me that somehow truth does get through. Now, we have a bunch of United States Republican senators who stand up and say, oh, no, no, no. Trump is absolutely right. And they repeat all his lies. Now, how are you going to deal with that? I don't know. And because you have two-thirds of Trump supporters who believe that the assault on the Capitol was primarily executed by Antifa, by left-wing activists, which is absolutely false. But two-thirds of Trump's voters believe that, according to USA Today poll. And how do you contend with people who believe lies when the lies are fed to them? by a major political party. We're mixing two things here together, though. One is misinformation from government officials, and the way you deal with that is you activate against them, and then you get them voted out. But if you're talking about the Tucker Carlson and the rest, we're talking about misinformation that's coming from the media. That's completely different. And I do think there are things you can do to regulate it. For one thing, big tech makes oodles of money. How about spending some of it on moderators, people who are assigned to go on to all their various streams of contact and look specifically for false information for stuff that's coming from robots, stuff that's coming from Russians. That can be done. It's not impossible. It's expensive. That's good. And, and mainstream media can do some things. If you listen to the Sunday morning talk shows, they regularly book people who do not tell the truth. Stop booking those people. Stop talking about, you know, do you support the election of Joe Biden as president? Let that narrative go because that just perpetuates it. And again, stop giving air to people who are spouting misinformation. There are a lot of people in Congress. And a lot of them can be talking about serious policy issues. I think in some respects, the uh, mainstream media is addicted to Trump and continuing this narrative is their problem. They need to let it go. And you think they what will? What do you do, though, about yeah. uh, the fact that the Republican leader of the House of Representatives, Steve Scalise, is one of those people who continues to repeat the lie that the election was fraudulent, that Donald Trump actually won? Then are you, if you're a journalist covering Washington, do you not cover the minority leader of the House of Representatives? Ask him a different question. Move on. <laughs> Come yeah. on. You guys know this isn't going to work. Not only that, we're about to have 
by elections which traditionally go to the party out of power, which could well mean that both the Senate and the House of Representatives go to the Republicans. In other words, the people who have been perpetually lying. And I doubt very much you're going to get any relief from those people. Well, especially not when you have media outlets themselves. I just wanted to repeat the words of Tucker Carlson on Fox News, the second most popular face in the media. I guess Hannity is the most popular television program. But here's what Tucker Carlson said. Unbeknownst to most people, the Green New Deal came to Texas. The power grid in the state, he's explaining what happened in Texas. The power grid in the state became totally reliant on windmills. Then it got cold. And the windmills broke because that's what happens in the Green New Deal. What about that? It's not true. Okay, what about it, Rex? It is not true. So you have the leader of the Congress or a leader, number two in the Republican Party after McCarthy, saying, you know, basically a lie. What in hell are you going to do about that? I mean, do you really think that anybody's going to allow somebody to call foul on somebody like that? It will not happen, period. This discussion is interesting, but I still think the way we're going is the right way to go. Let the truth go to the New York Times and to the Washington Post and let the Foxers do their thing. And we see what happened in the last election. People are not dumb. The last election resulted in significant Republican gains across the country, except for the fact that Joe Biden was elected president and Donald Trump then cost Republicans the Senate in Georgia by his actions. A more sensible guy in the White House would have kept that Senate in Republican hands. Joe Biden narrowly won, I would say, given how outrageous the lies were on the Trump side. But the fact is, the Republicans won in state houses. Democrats thought they were going to win nine states and swing them back into the Democrats. And instead, Republicans now control something like 24 states and Democrats control 13. It's very much a Republican country. And you can't just write that off because most of the country doesn't read the New York Times and the Washington Post. I don't have a solution, but it's really a difficult situation. Again, that's politics and not media, and I I have less hope that we can help politics outside of the voting booth. But the media, I do. And one of those places is if Democrats could get control of the state houses are laws that would perhaps allow citizens to bring suit against the Tucker Carlson's of the world to tell outright, provable, verifiable lies. Lawsuits have proven effective when companies bring them against liars. We saw that with the voting machine companies, the two of them were sued Juliana and his ilk. What if citizens, what if viewers could bring a suit like that? They could prove standing in a court. It would take a new law to do that, but it has possibilities. There are ways to do this just because we're not seeing them right now. All right. Well, let's talk about a couple of politicians and their relations with the press. We have a president and a governor we want to talk about. Which governor Maybe could since that we're, be? Uh, <laughs> which governor could that be? The one in New York, Andrew Cuomo, who finds himself in significant trouble these days, not only because of the nursing home scandal, let's say, the number of people who died in nursing homes turning out to be a lot larger than the governor had said. Now, more recently, story emerges from a woman who was in his administration, now running for borough president in Manhattan, who says that she was sexually harassed by the governor. And the governor responds by striking out at the media. By the way, Alan, are you hearing from the governor these days? No, the governor hasn't called me for quite a long time. I can explain why very quickly why I think it happened. You know, I had these nice conversations with him and something like 50, maybe more weeks in a row for half an hour. 
I think some of the people in the press were a little ticked off that he was giving me that that time, but okay, fair enough. But what would have happened is I would ask him a fairly innocuous question, and he would answer in what I considered to be a foolish way. I mean, he said nobody should travel. So I said, what are you doing on Christmas? He said, I'm bringing my mother up to the mansion. <laughs> to the mansion. It became worldwide news. That was one of them. Then there was another one, you know, in which he used the N-word. He was describing the plight of Italian-Americans and said they were the ends of the time, something like that. And it, too, went around the world. So you got to know when to keep your big mouth shut. And that is a problem. Now, did he blame himself for doing those things? No. I have a feeling he blamed me. (laughs) And that's fine, because all I did is ask a question, what are you doing for Christmas? And he answered with something that others would accuse him of being hypocritical about. So therefore, no Andrew. Andrew is a bully, and that's the real problem that he's facing now. He's bullied the press for years. He's bullied his staff for years. He's now calling up, apparently, state legislators and bullying them. And now this woman has come forward in the Me Too era. He's the victim of a change in social culture, and it used to be okay for powerful and big men to act like he has acted. And no longer is that true. If he worked in a company, he'd be fired for what he has done. For even on even the one woman bringing the charge would be cause for at least discipline. And uh, I think he is about to see how he has outgrown his time. His behavior is not going to change. He's been like that from the beginning. The way he treated Zephyr Chichow two elections ago was was bullying and condescending and evil towards women. So I'm not making any more charges against him than have come out publicly. Judy, did the press deify Andrew Cuomo and build him up so that he fell even harder at this point? Well, you know, they certainly hadn't deified him before the pandemic hit because they were in constant clashing with him. His lack of press briefings, if we remember, he never had any press briefings back in the old days. His administration did not comply with free of information requests uh, very quickly. Sometimes it took forever to get what you want. And the rumors about, you know, him bullying have been around forever. And I think this is part of our culture where we kind of just accept these things. In terms of sexual harassment allegations, this is something really, really difficult for journalists to report on because you have a system that closes down. There aren't public documents. And we thought a couple of years ago with all the Me Too stories that, you know, it was a transformational moment, but it seems like this is going on and on. What's going to happen with these allegations? I don't know, but I think it's a real challenge in the days and weeks ahead for the press corps to give this a fair hearing to see what actually has happened and what's going to be done about it. But again, the governor's reputation for handling the people who work for him and handling the press is long established. It's just not anything that the public has known about. And I think reporters kind of sucked it up and said, this is how it is, and I need to be tough in order to get information. And really, that's not how it should be in the workplace. A year ago, the New York Times said even many of his critics say the very qualities that make him abrasive in ordinary interactions are serving him well now. Marie Claire called him America's boyfriend. NPR talked about his decisiveness, taking charge. You know, a lot of the media glorified the very personality type activity that we're now saying is his downfall. So maybe the reporting wasn't so good from these national outlets anyway. I think the local, the people who would cover him every day were aware of it. But maybe there was just a little bit too much adulation of the star quality. 
Helen? And Chris Cuomo could certainly have talked about his bullying growing up, but he didn't. He said he's the best governor in the country, and CNN gave him a platform on which to say that. And then he got an Emmy. So there's no question that the media certainly played a role in his deification. But the truth is, as Judy and I are both saying, is that this is accepted. If you were a big deal, if you were, he's good looking, he's tall, he's powerful. Wow, well, he's hot. And so, and he becomes deified. That's changing now. Now we're looking at, look at how he treats women. Look at how he treats the people who work for him. How come all of his buddies are going to jail and to court and he's not? What's going on with that? Rosemary, is there any chance that because this accuser has come forward when she's running for political office, that this might redound to hurt her? In other words, some people will say, and I've heard it, she's doing it now in order to get ahead, and it's possible that she's not telling the truth. And by the way, that's always an issue. We always assume that when a woman comes forward and says this, that they are telling the truth. I mean, I certainly am partial to that explanation. It's hard to believe that that stuff is being made up. But what about the other side on this one? Women don't come forward because of exactly this reason. They're scared to death because they are going to not be believed. Very few women make this kind of stuff up, but the whole system is against women coming forward, and our society is never going to move forward. Pass this into a realm where you have professional atmospheres where you work, unless we stop questioning the women's motive all the time. Take a serious look at what she's saying, but I don't think the society in general should start judging people's motives until we know all the facts. Well, I, I agree facts. with you. And that's where the media comes in, mm-hmm. and that is where our show, unfortunately, has to end because we are out of time. Are you sure we're out of time? Sounds like we have more time. <laughs> I would just say one more thing, and that is go back to Joseph in the Bible. This kind of stuff has been going on for a long, long time. And, uh, Rex, you come from a long line of preachers, so I would advise you to go back and look it all up again. <laughs> Joseph. I know well the story of Joseph. Well, okay, never mind. We won't get into biblical stories just now. Let's just say that there's a lot of instructional material in the media and in the early media, including uh, that is now considered Holy Scripture. All right. (laughs) That's all. We'll try to avoid the religious perils of that. Rex Smith here with Alan Shartok, Judy Patrick, Rosemary Armeo, and we're grateful to our producer, David Gustina. And to you for joining us this week on The Media Project. They used to work like hell just for romance. But finally, the movies notwithstanding, they all got tired of patches on their pants. They organized a union to get a living wage. They joined with other actors upon a living... The Media Project is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Alan Shartok is CEO of WAMC, Professor Emeritus at the State University of New York, commentator, columnist, and author. Rex Smith is editor-at-large of the Times Union. Judy Patrick is the vice president for editorial development for the New York Press Association. And Rosemary Armeo is an investigative journalist and former chair of the Department of Journalism at the University at Albany. You can listen to or podcast The Media Project any time at wamc.org or just download the wamc app for your iphone or android at the play store today thanks for listening funny wall street never has complained ah but publishers have worries for publishers must go to working folks for readers and to big shots for their dough now publishers are such interesting people it could be prostitution, I don't know. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, circulation, ting-a-ling-a-ling. Advertising, get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give free cheers for freedom of the press.